0: What we are really dealing with here and uncovering more by the day is the massive influence of communist money through (laughs) Venezuela, Cuba, and likely China, Uh and the interference with our elections here in the United States. Uh
1: No, this show is not a rerun. But that statement was still alive.
2: And they knew it. I got the feeling there's something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair, and I'm wondering how I get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you.
0: I am
1: from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast that's heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A., also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP Rochester, New York's WRFZ Down in New Orleans on WHIV Out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ In Seattle on KODX Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Burden Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me over and over again (laughs) from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Well, uh, this fun story breaking late today from the New York Times is kind of... Uh, Change the, the trajectory of today's show, Desi Doyen. Yes, uh, I know. But we are—we're used to that sort of thing by now, aren't we? <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, yes, unfortunately we are. sadly, kind of a fun one though. Two weeks after the 2020 election, a team of lawyers closely allied with Donald J. Trump held a well, uh, widely watched news conference at the Republican Party's headquarters in Washington. At the event, they laid out a bizarre conspiracy theory claiming that a voting machine company had worked with an election software firm, the financier George Soros, and Venezuela to steal the presidential contest from Donald Trump.
0: The massive influence of communist money through Venezuela, Cuba, and likely China, in the interference with our elections here in the United States. The Dominion voting systems, the Smartmatic technology software, (laughs) and the software that goes in other computerized voting systems here as well, not just Dominion, were created in villains in Venezuela at the direction of Hugo Chavez.
1: Okay, so you remember that, right? (laughs) Oh, yes. But uh, as Alan Fuhr of The New York Times notes today, there was a problem for the Trump team. According to court documents released on Monday evening, by the time the news conference occurred on November 19, Donald Trump's campaign had already prepared an internal memo on many of these outlandish claims about the company, Dominion Voting Systems, and the separate software company Smartmatic, that memo had determined that those allegations were, wait for it, untrue. (laughs) What? Well, yeah, I could have told you that uh, at the time. In fact, I did tell you that at the time. And, of course, I knew that it was untrue at the time because... I was the guy who wrote the piece on which that false claim was actually made by Sidney Powell, as you heard there. It was uh, based on exclusive reporting of mine at bradblog.com, uh, actually, in a series of reports from 2008 to 2010 regarding Smartmatic and a different company entirely named Sequoia, which was eventually purchased by Dominion and it did regard Smartmatics some of this story did regard Smartmatics ties at the time to Venezuela and the Hugo Chavez regime of course at the time Hugo Chavez was actually still alive.
3: Kind of an important detail.
1: And it was all my reporting was all very well documented and accurate and based on court records and recordings of actual phone calls etc all independently verifiable and I'm happy to stand by my exclusive reporting on the matter 10 years later. And I can tell you that Smartmatic has nothing to do with elections in the U.S., with one exception, and that they are actually a competitor of Dominion's where Team Trump had consistently conflated the two companies as if they were the same somehow. The one exception, by the way, to Smartmatic and their election business here in the U.S. is actually here in Los Angeles, where Smartmatic was contracted to build Los Angeles's new unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that were used for the first time last year. But other than that... Smartmatic, which long ago had a relationship with Venezuela's elections, Uh, Smartmatic does not do any business in U.S. elections at the current time other than that L.A. contract. So the notion that somehow Hugo Chavez, who apparently... Uh, either Sidney Powell and or Rudy Giuliani did not seem to understand, had been dead for years by the time they were making these claims, uh, you know, that somehow Hugo Chavez or Venezuela via Smartmatic had somehow changed votes in states lost by Donald Trump in counties that had contracts with Dominion. Well, none of this ever made sense, even on its face. As I said at the time, it was evidence free at best and preposterous just, you know, on its face. And of course, it still is. And today we learn via The New York Times that the Trump campaign actually knew that it was preposterous as well at the time. But apparently they didn't care. They wanted to mislead the public about all of this. The court papers, which were initially filed late last week uh, as a motion in a defamation lawsuit brought against the Trump campaign and others by a former Dominion employee, a guy by the name of Eric Coomer, contains evidence that officials in the Trump campaign were aware very early on that many of the claims against the companies were totally baseless. The documents also suggest that the campaign sat on its findings about Dominion, even as Sidney Powell and other lawyers attacked the company in the right-wing media and ultimately filed four federal lawsuits accusing Dominion of this vast conspiracy to rig the election against Donald Trump. Those are the so-called Kraken lawsuits that were quickly dismissed by all of the courts. According to emails that are contained in these court documents, Zach Parkinson, and again, these are documents that are part of the discovery process from this lawsuit by Eric Coomer against the Trump campaign, And uh, those involved with it, Uh, according to emails contained in the documents, Zach Parkinson, then the Trump campaign's deputy director of communications, reached out to subordinates on November 13. That would be just 10 days after the election at that point, asking them to, quote, substantiate or debunk, unquote, several matters concerning Dominion. And I haven't gone back to check, but November 13th, that was right around the time that all of a sudden I started getting all of this traffic
3: Oh yeah, uh, that's on right. the
1: Internet to uh, one story in particular back from uh, at Bradblog.com from 2010. When these folks started looking at this and started imagining, hey, maybe we could come up with this idea that Dominion stole the election from Donald Trump because Hugo Chavez and communism and George Soros or something. Anyway, the the next day, after Parkinson had asked for the uh, information that would either substantiate or debunk these claims, emails show that Parkinson received a copy of a memo that was cobbled together uh, by his staff from what largely appears to be news articles and public fact-checking services. I haven't seen it, don't know if my article shows up in these court papers, but who knows. Even though the memo, according to Alan Fuhrer at The Times, was hastily assembled, it rebutted a series of allegations that Ms. Powell and others were making in public at the time. It found, one, that Dominion did not use voting technology from the software company Smartmatic in the 2020 election, that Dominion had no direct ties to Venezuela or to George Soros, which was another false claim that they were making, though I had nothing to do with that one. But, you know, if you're a Republican, you can blame anything, anything you like on George Soros. Just say his name and your gullible dupes and chumps and suckers will buy it hook, line and sinker. And also the memo found that there was no evidence that Dominion's leadership had connections to the left wing Antifa activists, as Powell and others had also claimed at the time and in fact still today, which is why he is suing. Uh, right-wingers pretend that Eric Coomer of Dominion is actually an Antifa activist himself. Seriously, that's what they think. He he programs uh, voting machines by day and dons black clothing and, <coughs> and a mask to wreak havoc against friendly neighborhood Republicans at night or whatever they have been told to believe that Antifa is which is not even a group, it's a movement it is like pro-life but in this case they are against fascism people who are against fascism whatever they, you know whatever these right-wingers have convinced themselves that Antifa does, they're very, very scary yes, all of this is preposterous but apparently the more preposterous the more these dupes and chumps and patsies and suckers who have been brain poisoned by years of this stuff on Fox News, the more preposterous it is, the more likely they are to believe it is true, seemingly. Now, uh, Coomer's lawyers, according to The Times, wrote in their motion in the defamation suit, quote, the memo produced by the Trump campaign shows that at least internally, the Trump campaign found there was no evidence to support the conspiracy theories regarding Dominion and Mr. Coomer. It's unclear if Trump knew about or saw the memo. Still, the documents suggest that his campaign's communications staff remained silent about what it knew of the claims against Dominion at a moment when the allegations were circulating freely. Yes, they knew it was all BS and they all stayed quiet about it. The motion argues, quote, the Trump campaign continued to allow its agents to advance debunked conspiracy theories and defame Mr. Coomer, apparently without providing them with their own research, debunking those very same theories. Coomer uh, was Dominion's one-time director of product strategy and security uh, his life has been ruined, frankly, by the false claims that have been made against him. He's had to go into hiding. He sued uh, Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, the Trump campaign and others last year in state district court in Denver, Colorado. He has said um, that after the election, he was wrongly accused by a right wing podcast host of hacking his own company's systems in order to ensure that Trump's uh, to ensure Trump's defeat and of then telling left wing activists that he had done so. That's right. In addition to being Antifa, as the wing believe, he also uh, Coomer also told them on an Antifa conference call Apparently, that's how the story goes. Like they have regular meetings that he, conference calls. Yes, their weekly conference anti Antifa calls that uh, he, he told them that he had hacked the Dominion machines in order to steal the election for Joe Biden. As any good person who is stealing an entire national election would certainly tell people on an open conference call. <laughs> I don't know what problem they have with that story. It's so obviously true. Soon after, the uh, host of the podcast, a guy by the name of Joe Oltman, uh, soon after he made those accusations, they were, of course, seized upon. They were amplified by both Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani, who didn't bother to try and, you know, verify them. On November 19, for example, Powell and Giuliani appeared together at a news conference at the RNC headquarters. That was the one where Giuliani's face, as I recall, was dripping with hair dye, you may remember that as well. Uh, and uh, they placed Coomer at the center of this plot to hijack the election by hacking Dominion's voting machines. Powell's uh, account that day included the conspiracy uh, involving Smartmatic, Venezuelan officials, people connected to George Soros, and a quote, massive influence of communist money, as you just heard.
3: A grab bag of keywords, and it worked.
1: It worked. It remains unclear how widely the memo debunking all of that was circulated among the Trump campaign staff members. I can imagine them at the time saying, well, quick, hide this. According to the documents, Giuliani said in a deposition in this case that he had not seen that memo before he gave his presentation in D.C. And he questioned the motives of those who had prepared it. Giuliani is quoted as saying in the deposition they wanted Trump to lose because they could raise more money. Mind you, he's talking about the Trump campaign here. They're the ones who wanted. So now he's uh, turning on the Trump campaign itself, apparently, to try and save his own ass here. But uh, at the time that the internal report was prepared, Giuliani and Powell were both, quote, active supervisors as Giuliani put it in his deposition in the Trump campaign's broader plan to challenge the election results, an effort that eventually included more than 60 failed lawsuits filed across the country. The release of the documents was only the latest legal trouble for Mr. Giuliani and Ms. Powell, both of whom have been sued directly by Dominion itself. Not by Coomer, but, well, in addition to Coomer, the company, Dominion, is also suing them for defamation for $1.3 billion each. Dominion has also brought another similar defamation suit. Also, I believe, for $1.3 billion against Mike Lindell, the chief executive of MyPillow, for similarly amplifying false election claims against Dominion. A federal judge in Detroit has ordered penalties to be levied against uh, Powell and eight other pro-Trump lawyers. Giuliani was not among them in that case. Lucky. Uh, He filed uh, against the attorneys who filed a uh, lawsuit that sought to overturn the election results in Michigan using false claims about dominion. This case was never about fraud. The judge in that case, Linda Parker, wrote in her decision to penalize Powell and the other eight Trump attorneys, it was about undermining the people's faith in our democracy and debasing the judicial process to do so. Judge Parker ordered the attorneys to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in attorney's fees to the state of Michigan and to the city of Detroit, who had to defend themselves against this bogus uh, lawsuit. She also ordered the state bar associations in each of the attorney's various states to review whether their behavior on that case should require them to be completely disbarred in each state. In June, a New York, a New York court suspended Giuliani's law license, ruling that he had made, quote, demonstrably false and misleading statements while fighting the results of last year's elections on Donald Trump's behalf. Washington, D.C. has also since suspended Giuliani's license to practice law in the state. And yes, they are facing all of these lawsuits at the same time from Dominion and from Dominion's former employee, Eric Even recently, the new court documents say former Trump campaign officials have continued to peddle the still evidence-free notion that the election was marred by fraud. When lawyers for Coomer asked Sean Dahlman, a representative of the Trump campaign, in a deposition, if the campaign still believed that the election was fraudulent, he answered, quote, yes, sir. The lawyers then asked, what is that opinion based on? According to the court documents, Dolman gave a less than certain answer, quote, we have no underlying definite facts that it wasn't. Well, if we have no facts that it wasn't stolen, then it certainly must have been stolen, I guess. Good enough for the brain poisoned dupes and chumps and suckers and stooges and patsies. Send that campaign even more of your hard-earned money, suckers! They'll—they—they're uh, they're not playing you at all, not at all. And as far as I can tell, they're going to need as much money as they can possibly get at this point. I'll get uh, to the reasons for that in a moment. But since—since since we're on the issue of Team Trump actually knowing that their claims about a fraudulent election were all BS, even as they were making that argument. There is this Republican senators and Trump loyalists Lindsey Graham of South Carolina and Mike Lee of Utah reportedly were not impressed by the supposed evidence of voter fraud that then President Donald Trump's cronies had privately presented to them to overturn the 2020 election results. According to The Washington Post's reported excerpt from the book Peril, the new book by Washington Post's Bob Woodward and Robert Costa, Lindsey Graham met with then-Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani on January 2nd to discuss what the attorney had claimed to be information that would nullify Trump's defeat. Senator Graham uh, repeatedly told Giuliani, Give me some names. You need to put it in writing. We need to show you need to show me the evidence. Upon receiving memos then from Giuliani two days later on July 4 regarding, quote, voting irregularities, impossibilities, and illegalities in the 2020 general election, Graham, who was serving as the Senate Judiciary Chair at the time, reportedly had top committee lawyer Lee Holmes vet those documents, while the memos, you will not be surprised to hear by now, were rife with evidence-free claims, several of which wound up in those lawsuits that were ultimately tossed out of court. This is according to Bob Woodward and and Robert Costa. And ultimately, the top Republican Senate Judiciary Committee attorney Holmes, quote, found the sloppiness, the overbearing tone of certainty and the inconsistencies to be disqualifying, according to the new book. In private, reportedly, Graham derided Giuliani's, quote, third-grade-level arguments for undoing the election. But, of course, that didn't prevent Graham from calling the Georgia Secretary of State to see if he could get Brad Raffensburger to toss out all of the vote-by-mail ballots from Georgia counties where there were larger-than-expected numbers of, uh, of signatures that did not match records. Not that there were any such counties this year, frankly. But Graham reportedly asked Raffensperger if he could simply throw out all of the absentee ballots in any such counties where there were concerns about pretty much any of the signatures. Uh, A phone call. Uh, That phone call uh, to Raffensperger has apparently caught the attention of Atlanta's Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis, whose investigation into both Trump and and Graham and Giuliani is reportedly quote still ongoing into a possible conspiracy between them all to defraud an election in the Peach State by trying to get an election official to change votes that is a crime in Georgia doesn't matter if they did change the votes just trying to get them to do so is a crime being investigated but on on the same day As Graham's meeting with Giuliani, the White House also sent Utah's Mike Lee a memo claiming that then Vice President Mike Pence could simply throw the election to Trump by discarding the electors from seven different states that had submitting supposed uh, dueling slates of electors. Again, this is according to the book Peril from Woodward and Costa. The memo was penned by the right-wing legal scholar John Eastman. Sounds like he needs to be debarred as well. It reportedly explains how all of this could be done. It concluded with, quote, Pence then gavels President Trump as reelected. So they had a whole memo for this. They had all of this worked out exactly how it should go, exactly how they would steal the election. And while everyone seems to focus on, uh, you know, Donald Trump uh, complaining uh, there was fraud in the 2020 election, that framework needs to be changed. Donald Trump attempted to steal the 2020 election. He was thankfully unsuccessful in his attempt to steal the election. But that's what Donald Trump was doing, trying to steal the election. That's what uh, Rudy Giuliani was doing, trying to steal the election. Sidney Powell was trying to steal the election. Lindsey Graham, the senator from South Carolina, when he called uh, the Secretary of State in Georgia, he was calling to try to steal the election. Ultimately, uh, neither Graham nor Lee uh, were reportedly convinced, according to uh, Woodward and Costa, that there was any fraud in the election uh, because they both went and voted to certify the election results in the aftermath of the Capitol insurrection on January 6th.
3: And just a reminder that this goes way beyond just the uh, Coomer's defamation lawsuit. I mean, those lies as you've noted, fueled the January 6th Capitol insurrection in which people died.
1: And they are fueling the undermining of democracy in this country in a way that we have never seen, at least not since the Civil War. So, yeah, these, uh, well, uh, as you like to say, Des, elections have consequences, I would add. Attempted stolen elections have consequences as well for now. Now, uh, as as we're apparently uh, back on the Trump accountability beat today, uh, you, you may have heard that yesterday and what was supposed to have been a, a standard scheduling conference in in state court in New York in the felony tax fraud indictments by Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance and uh, uh, Letitia James, the uh, state uh, attorney general against the Trump Organization and his chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, the longtime Trump Organization bookkeeper. You may have heard that his defense attorneys during this scheduling meeting actually offered some potentially interesting and seemingly newsworthy news at any rate. Revelations, as they are being described, as AP reports a lawyer for Donald Trump's Indicted corporate finance chief told a judge Monday that he has, quote, Strong reason to believe more indictments are coming in an ongoing New York investigation into the former president's real estate empire. Lawyer Brian Scarlatos made the remark during Trump Organization CFO Allen Weisselberg's first court appearance since his July 1 arraignment on tax fraud charges. Scarlatos did not say... Uh, What led him to believe that more people would be charged, nor who those people might be? In recent weeks, a pair of Trump organization executives have testified before a grand jury in the case. But under New York law, grand jury witnesses are granted immunity. They cannot be charged for conduct that they testify about though they could be considered unindicted co-conspirators in the case. Scarlatos raised the issue of more possible indictments while arguing for more time to review up to six million pages of documents that he said prosecutors are turning over as evidence in the case. Prosecutors countered that Weisselberg himself is, quote, no stranger to many of these documents because... They include Trump Organization business records that Weiselberg himself likely produced or reviewed as part of his job. The judge, however, gave both sides until next spring to file motions and responses in the case. He said he would decide on uh, on the motions at a July 12, 2022 hearing. That will be the next time that Weisselberg is due in court. The judge said he expected to set a trial date at that time and would likely schedule it for the end of August or the beginning of September of next year. So, yeah, if you were expecting some sort of quick action in this case, well, you may want to tamp down those uh, those expectations for now, at least barring any new action, new indictments, as referred to by Weiselberg's attorney there, you know, that could include additional co-conspirators, uh, his attorney also seemed to, by the way, to distance himself a bit, to distance Weiselberg a bit, I should say, from the Trump organization, if not from Trump itself. Uh, his attorney said, uh, quote, "Mr. Weiselberg is separate from the Trump organization. He is the only individual here whose liberty is at stake. What I am concerned about is that he will become collateral damage in a larger fight between the Trump organization and the DA's office. Weisselberg has pleaded not guilty to charges that he collected more than $1.7 million in off-the-books compensation, including apartment rent, car payments, school tuition. Trump's company is also charged in the case, which prosecutors have uh, described as, quote, sweeping a sweeping and audacious tax fraud scheme. Trump himself, at least so far, has not yet been charged with any wrongdoing here. He has, however... Condemned the case. Uh, this is the first to arise from a New York authorities' two year investigation into the former president's business dealings. He's derided it as a quote, say it with me, political witch, witch hunt. hunt. The dude really needs some new material. Anyway, according to the indictment from 2005 through this year, the Trump organization Weiselberg cheated tax authorities. They conspired to pay senior executives off the books by way of lucrative fringe benefits and other means on which they did not pay any taxes. Weiselberg alone was accused of defrauding defrauding the federal government and the state and the city out of more than 900,000 in unpaid taxes.
3: But sure, call him a collateral damage.
1: He's patriot. He's patriot. Stealing money from the government. Very patriotic. The most uh, serious charge against Weisselberg is grand larceny. It carries 5 to 15 years in prison. So he might have some serious reason to decide to cooperate with prosecutors and flip, perhaps, against his boss if it looks like he's going to be going to jail. The tax fraud charges against the company are punishable by a fine of double the amount of the unpaid taxes or 250000 whichever is larger. Well, in this case, they're talking about at least $1.7 million. You can double that as far as what someone may be on the hook for here. If there's uh, other employees uh, who also joined in the same fraudulent benefits, that number obviously could end up being much, much higher. And the Trump organization might be on the hook for it, uh, for what appears to be a very bad time for Donald Trump's businesses to be on the hook for big payments for anything. In a story that received much less notice over the weekend, Trump's empire itself, the Trump organization through which uh, the disgraced former president manages all of his uh, you know, many investments and ventures, his office towers, his hotels, golf courses, marketing deals, TV deals. Well, that empire could be on very, very shaky ground at this point, at least if this reporting from Bloomberg, business insider in recent days, is on to something. A 100 Million dollar loan on Donald Trump's Fifth Avenue Trump Tower has been placed on a debt watch list, according to data from the banking giant Wells Fargo. A debt watch list. Bloomberg first reported the story on Friday last week, noting that the decision was a result of, quote, lower average occupancy at Trump Tower. Wells Fargo, which is the master servicer of this one hundred million dollar loan, said that occupancy has dipped at Trump Tower for some odd reason to just 78.9 percent from 85.9 percent at the end of 2020. So that's a seven point drop in occupancy in just the first few months Since the beginning of this year, uh, apparently after it became clear that he was no longer going to remain president, that he was not going to be able to steal the election after all, people started leaving Trump Tower. Even though, by the way, the economy has been quickly improving for uh, much of the year as we struggle to pull out of the pandemic, so there wouldn't be leaving because of a bad economy, right? Business Insider previously reported other uh, financial challenges at Trump Tower. Recently, multiple tenants fell behind on their rent. Now, why would that be? Poor handling of the coronavirus, perhaps? Yeah, maybe, but, you know, Trump told us for how, how long that this was the best economy in American history? It wasn't, but that's what he said, and I've never known Donald Trump to be a liar. <laughs> But, uh, you know, maybe the economy was bad. Maybe that's why they left. The Trump Organization also sued the maker of Ivanka Trump's shoe line earlier this year. I hadn't heard about that for one point five million dollars in unpaid rent. Some of Trump's properties elsewhere in the U.S. have also been facing scrutiny because they seem to be in even worse shape. The former president's property tax was slashed for his Chicago office tower because the building's commercial space was almost entirely vacant. That, according to the Chicago Sun-Times, that building's retail space had its, asset, uh, had its assessed value cut From $19.9 million down to $12.5 million, according to Business Insider. The assessed value was cut by about 37%. Why? Well, because 95% of the square footage was vacant, according to this report. 95% of the commercial space in Trump's Chicago office tower is empty. Good work, Chicago. So, uh, while we wait for Trump's criminal record to uh, hopefully catch up with him, his failed financial record may catch up with him first at this rate, especially because he is uh, reported to be personally on the hook, you'll recall, for some $400 million in loans that are coming due in the next couple of years. And if he had planned to sell any of his crappy buildings to try and help pay off those loans. Well, you better get cracking before they uh before they aren't worth the the name that has been gaudily plastered all over the front of them. Yeah, no kidding. So, anyway, we'll keep our eyes on all of this. Now, if any by the way, if any listeners out there are saying, "Hey Brad, hey Brad," Donald Trump's been out of office for eight months already. Let it go. Can't you just move on? Well, uh, first I would say in response, hi, welcome to the (laughs) broadcast. Glad you found us. Are you enjoying the first show so far? And second, I might say uh, if you're really troubled by that, you should definitely turn off the program right now. Because we're about to take a break, but when we return, you're really going to be troubled by what I'm covering in this next story. The accountability beat continues. In fact, it never ends right here on the Bradcast, no matter how many years it takes for us to find some. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. (laughs)
3: Hey, this is Desi. The Bradcast and the Green News Report survive thanks to you and your support. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today to help us stay independent every day over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks.
2: Wrong.
0: Remember
2: the kind of September (laughs) when life was slow and oh,
1: so mellow. I don't remember any such Septembers, to be frank. Welcome back. To the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com, the Bradcast, the only show where you are likely to hear, as bumper music, Jim Neighbors, (laughs) that's right, Gomer Gomer Pyle, singing from the, uh, the uh, I think, uh, still maybe the longest-running off-Broadway show of all time, The Fantastics. Anyway, welcome back. Uh, I think I, I mentioned uh, I'd heard from some listeners who were really, really worried uh, that somehow I would join the crowds singing the praises of George W. Bush. Following his uh, speech at Shanksville, Pennsylvania, on the 20th anniversary commemoration of the 9-11 terror attacks a week or so ago. And, of course, no worries. I will not be doing that. Now, Donald Trump is hands down the worst, most corrupt, most incompetent president that this nation has ever seen. But before Donald Trump, George W. Bush was hands down the worst, most corrupt and incompetent president that this nation had ever seen. And sorry, but no, I am not joining the club of folks who suddenly think that George W. Bush was not all that bad simply because he was eventually followed by an even more corrupt and incompetent president in Donald Trump. Not buying it, not going there. Yes, Trump's uh, corruption and crime spree as president you know, was horrible, but it does not make George W. Bush any less of a war criminal for what he did during his tragic and corrupt eight years in office. We do not play that game here at the broadcast. You're welcome. And to that end, if you are silly enough to wonder why we are still calling for accountability, For Donald Trump, well, you will hopefully be driven insane by the fact that, yes, we are still calling for accountability for George W. Bush and the unnecessary wars that he started and the hundreds of thousands of people that were killed and tortured during his regime. Well, it looks like we're not the only ones in Los Angeles who feel that way this week. Community blogger Pacal Lolo over at uh, Daily Coast brings my attention to this story today. Former President George W. Bush, apparently on the latest leg of his I'm Not As Bad As The Previous Guy rehabilitation tour, uh, he spoke uh, here on Sunday evening in Beverly Hills offering... Uh, What the so-called Distinguished Speakers series of Southern California, who presented the speech, uh, described as his, quote, thoughts on eight years in the Oval Office, the challenges facing our nation in the 21st century, the power of freedom, the role of faith and other pressing issues. According to MyNewsLA.com, there was a protest at the the venue, but police reported no trouble or arrests. A group of about 30 protesters gathered outside the Saban Theater, where Bush was speaking. According to Beverly Hills Police, uh, they reported that there was no trouble, uh, and the protesters left shortly after Bush did. The Answer Coalition had tweeted before the event citing the U.S. invasion and occupation of Afghanistan and Iraq under Bush's watch. Quote, war criminal and former president George W. Bush is scheduled to speak in Los Angeles and Long Beach on September 19 and 20 as part of the Distinguished Speakers series. His presence is unwelcome and his characterization as distinguished is laughable. Arrest Bush now, they tweeted. I like it. Hey, welcome to Los Angeles, Mr. Former President. Anyway, uh, not too uh, too much trouble at the protests outside of the venue. So how did it go inside the theater on Sunday night? It was inside where the fireworks were, according to Pakalolo. Mike Preissner, an Iraq War veteran and activist, interrupted Bush during his speech before he was ushered out by event staff. That's Preissner. Not Bush, unfortunately. (laughs) Here's what it sounded like on Sunday night inside the theater.
2: The president's got a lot of really smart people at his disposal, and uh, uh, I used them, and Dad used them, but it was awesome to
3: have
1: him alive. And mother, of course, was around, too. Mr.
2: Bush, when are you going to apologize for the million Iraqis that are dead because you lied! You lied about weapons of mass destruction! You lied about... 11 you said Iraq you, said you, you sent me to Iraq, no, you sent no, me in no, 2003, no, 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 no. my friends are dead, no, no, no. Joshua Castile, you no, no, killed no, people, same you lied, you lied lie about, about a million Iraqis are dead because you lied, my friends are dead because you lied, you need to apologize, 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 apologize.
1: are you with this gentleman, no, no, Hey, good work, Mike. Mm -hmm. I like it. No, we'll never forget. As Pacololo notes, uh, so many mental images of what happened in Iraq still haunt me. The torture, the bombings, daily massacres, civil strife, ISIS, and the suffering and death of over one million people. He or she goes on to write that war criminals should not be able to rehabilitate their images in the presence of polite society and neither should traitorous insurrectionists. Bush and his administration of uh, war industry and fossil fuel hacks lied the country into war with Iraq and diverted the world's attention from Afghanistan. Bush was the popular vote loser and installed by a partisan Supreme Court. Thank you for remembering that. Against the will of the majority of the American people, he cravenly used the crisis over 9-11 with a united we stand propaganda blitz. All the while, he and Cheney shoved right wing policies two radical Federalist Society Supreme Court judges and a Middle East war down our throats over lies about weapons of mass destruction. After Mike Preisner was removed from the event, uh, he was apparently he was he was let go. Apparently they didn't bother to arrest him or he wasn't cited for exercising his right to free speech inside the venue. He was asked by a live streamer on the street after he came out uh, about what happened. Here's what he said.
2: What just happened? Uh, I'm wondering if they're going to arrest me, but what just I just disrupted George Bush speaking. Um, they dragged me out. Uh, I guess the cops are not after me, so I guess they're not arrested. yeah. Um, well, uh, well, what I did was I tried to read the names of friends of mine who uh, died after going to Iraq and then uh, died of. Um, injuries they came home with. Um, the names of Iraqis who were killed by the U.S. occupation in the Nisour Square Massacre. Ditha, those you saw in the collateral murder video. Um, I tried to read the names, but the event runners immediately grabbed the list and tore it up. Uh, but I was able to shut it down for a little while, right when Bush was getting into his first little cheesy story about um, his life and all that, trying to be funny, but uh, so hopefully, I shook him and set a tone for the event. The crowd was very mad—typical um, crowd you would expect for George W. Bush—but they seem to not be expecting it at all. And um, here we are. So, uh, tried not to give him a little moment of peace because no one else gets it who's touched by the war.
1: Thank you very much, Mike Preisner, uh, Iraq War veteran. Um, good work. So, uh, yeah, uh, you know, those who had some idea that somehow we were going to be uh, talking about what a wonderful president George W. Bush was now that we see what a really, really bad one was in Donald Trump. Yeah, not here. Find another show. And those of you who think that we should stop calling for accountability for Donald Trump, if there are any such listeners out there. uh, Yeah, okay. Of course, that just means I go back to calling for accountability for George W. Bush. Take your pick. No, we never forget. And yes, by the way, humanity is still paying a catastrophic price for the crimes of oil man George W. Bush, which turns out to be a nice setup for a quick break and our return with Desi Doyen and her latest Green News report. That's next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman.
3: You're listening to the broadcast. We are 100% listener supported thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com/donate. I'll stop the world, it ends
1: with you. Yes. Welcome back to the broadcast. Let's see if we have some uh, time for a, a button story at the end here. So let's get right to it. Our latest Green News report. You get too close to a point of no return. We don't have a lot of time. So we have to act. All of us, have to act, have to act
3: now. Humanity on a catastrophic pathway, new U.N. report finds. Good news and bad for climate action at the U.N. General Assembly.
0: Plus... Fire is not going to go away. It's going to keep burning.
3: Good news and bad for the world's last stand of giant sequoias. All
1: of that good news and bad straight ahead from bradblog.com i'm brad friedman and i'm desi doyan stand by for six minutes of independent green news politics analysis and snarky comment we're all tenants of planet earth we are definitely not getting our security deposit back this is your green news report Okay, Desi Doyen, I think I'm starting to see why people are annoyed with the United Nations. They keep putting out these reports... And they aren't good news.
3: (laughs) No, they are not. First, the bad news. Despite new updated pledges to cut global greenhouse gas emissions under the United Nations Paris Climate Agreement, a new UN report projects the world is poised to rise a catastrophic 2.7 degrees Celsius by the end of the century without major action. That is far above the 2 degrees Celsius target that countries had agreed to. Now, this new report says that's if all of the countries meet their emissions promises that they've made so far. And under current commitments, global emissions are likely to increase by 16 percent by 2030. Scientists warn governments need to slash global emissions by 45 percent by 2030 to be on the path to reach carbon neutrality by 2050. Humanity's use of fossil fuels has already heated the planet more than one degree Celsius and we're already seeing its effects in increasingly frequent extreme heat waves, droughts, fires, floods, and rising sea levels. What would a world with two point seven degrees Celsius of warming look like? Well, here's climate scientist Dr. Michael Mann.
2: We don't want to find out, and that's why it's so important that you know we not kick the can down, you know, the road several decades. We need to make sure that we decarbonize our economy.
1: Now, Yes, we do. Again, that report from the UN is based on current pledges from countries around the world, and even with those pledges, it is not going to be enough.
3: The new UN report was released in conjunction with the annual meeting of world governments at the United Nations General Assembly in New York City. It also finds that wealthy nations have fallen more than 20 billion dollars short of the 100 billion in climate aid that they promised to poorer countries that did not cause man-made climate change. And and that has deepened mistrust between nations. As UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson explained at the UN. It is the developing world that is bearing the brunt of catastrophic climate change in the form of, of hurricanes and, uh, and fires and, and floods uh, and uh, the, the real long-term economic damage that they face. Uh, and yet it's, it's the developed world that over 200 years has put the carbon in the atmosphere that is causing this acceleration of, of climate change, and so it really is up to us uh, to help them.
1: Way to go, wealthy and developed countries. Use up all the resources and pull the ladder up after you.
3: And it matters because climate change is already fueling a wave of migration. A new World Bank report finds that migration is on the rise within countries in East and Central Asia, North Africa and Eastern Europe due to climate change affecting crop yields and water availability. The researchers project that absent concerted climate and development action, more than 200 million people could be forced to migrate to escape climate change impacts within the next 30 years. Yeah,
1: good luck. Where are they going to go?
3: But President Biden, late last week, formally unveiled a new agreement with the European Union to cut global methane emissions by at least 30 percent by 2030. That could be big because methane, the primary ingredient in natural gas, is a more potent greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide on shorter timescales. And scientists say cutting methane pollution is the single fastest, most effective strategy we have to slow the rate of warming. Finally, in California, the bad news is that the state's relentless wildfire season is second only to last year's record-setting wildfire season. Worse, the extent of this year's fires is already bigger than where we were this time last year. Mm -hmm. But the good news, in California's Sequoia National Park, thanks to aggressive firefighting and decades of intense forest management, fire crews so far have been able to defend the ancient giant trees from the massive KNP complex wildfire. And according to Sequoia National Park's chief scientist, Dr. Christy Brigham, on a recent broadcast, there is a lot that the public can do to help save this forest for future generations.
0: Climate change, that is at the root of this problem, and we can all take part in that solution individually and collectively.
1: Well, we can try. Of course, what's it say about the situation we're in where the good news is when a 3,000-year-old forest isn't burning down that bad so far. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com Find, follow, and share us planetwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman and I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. I talk to the trees, But they don't oh. listen to
2: me
3: Apparently Not this is our day to style. have old stars talk songs. What other
1: talk radio show do you get? Clint Eastwood singing from the 1969 classic Lee Marvin <laughs> movie musical, Paint Your Wagon. And yes, and that is
3: Clint Eastwood. That is
1: Clint Eastwood and... Gomer Pyle singing from uh, Off-Broadway. Indeed. Shows. You don't find that anywhere else. You're welcome. Hey, very quickly here. Uh, remember all the, the Sturm und Drang and Drang uh, when Donald Trump's corrupt then-Interior Department Secretary Ryan Zinke Declared that the entire Bureau of Land Management would be moved its headquarters from D.C. out to Grand Junction, Colorado, even though that meant the, the loss of hundreds of expert employees and scientists and so forth. Well, uh, they did it. They pulled it off. But guess what? Interior Secretary Deb Holland, Joe Biden's Interior Secretary, is now moving the national headquarters of the BLM back to the nation's capital after two years in Colorado, reversing a decision by Trump's administration to supposedly move the agency closer to the region that it serves, even though what it was really meant to do was to gut the BLM. Which it did. Yep. Hundreds of employees uh, were unwilling to move to Colorado. In fact, The BLM, uh, which oversees nearly one-fifth of the nation's public lands, they lost nearly 300 employees to retirement or resignation. So mission accomplished.
3: Something like 90% of them.
1: Yeah, that was after the headquarters was moved to uh, Grand Junction back in 2019, uh, and that was done under uh, Trump's first Interior Secretary, Ryan Zinke. He initiated the move. It was completed under the fossil fuel lobbyist, David Bernhardt, who took his place, succeeding Zinke in 2019 after uh, uh, Zinke was apparently so corrupt and so bad and so embarrassing for the Trump administration that he was forced to resign. And how bad do you have to be to resign due to corruption from the uh, Trump administration? Well, Ryan Zinke did. A similar mass exodus, by the way, also occurred after two Ag Department research agencies were moved from Washington, D.C. to Kansas City, Missouri under Donald Trump. Again, though, that was the point to gut federal the federal government of experts
3: yes you decimate the expertise you remove the watchdogs and the scientists who help inform the right kinds of policies that would actually help administer public lands and then you ensure that your lobbyists get in instead and you know by the way being in the district of columbia is actually a way to save money on oversight because having those people those uh very higher up level uh mm-hmm. policymakers, In D.C. means they would just walk across the street to testify before Congress instead of having to be flown there.
1: Instead, the Trump administration scattered jobs throughout the region, assigned only a few dozen positions to the Shell headquarters in Grand Junction, Colorado. Um, Deb Holland, the Secretary Holland, said in her statement that the past several years, quote, have been incredibly disruptive to the organization, to our public servants and to their families. As intended. There is no doubt that the BLM should have a leadership presence in Washington, D.C., like all the other land management agencies, to ensure that it has access to the policy, budget and decision making levers to best carry out its mission. Yep. So just another disaster being rolled back by uh, disaster by the Trump administration and Republicans that have to be rolled back by the Biden administration. All right. That is it. We got to get out. Uh, Speaking of disasters, (laughs) we'll get out of this disastrous show. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program. Or any others that we've ever run, you can download all of them for free at bradblog.com, though I can't promise that you will get Clint Eastwood singing in all of them. Maybe some. You can drop me email. I am Bradcast at Bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the BradBlog. And my thanks to those of you who help us stay on your public airwaves by stopping by Bradblog.com slash donate. That's it. Until we see you again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. I talk to the
2: trees, but they don't listen
1: to me. I talk to the stars,
0: but they never hear me.
2: The breeze hasn't time
1: to stop and hear what I say.